Can we launch into the theme song? Please. All right, picture this. John Cale, you know more than I know. Connecting the classics. Back at it again. A music podcast. Where Will and I both take albums each week and we figure out how to connect them. Creating six songs of separation. You know more than I know. And as Lee said, this is Connecting the Classics, a weekly competitive radio hour where Lee and I each pick two classic albums. We discuss the albums, and then we each pick three songs that are tangential references, weaving webs through recorded music history, Kevin Bacon style. And my name is Will Hagel. I'm the Burbank booty of the podcast. And music writer, music enthusiast, and alongside here with my co-host, Lee Robinson, fellow music enthusiast. Yeah, also also music enthusiast, uh, music professor, DJ, all those uh, cliches, make my own music, play guitar. We love music and we're here to tell you about it. Love on the beach. <laughs> and we also love competing. And this is also a competitive radio hour, as I mentioned, meaning we award points to each other, but the points don't matter. Whose line is it anyway style? And let's get into the albums we picked. Yeah, starts off. All right. So I I picked first this week, sent Lee my connection, and I picked the 1996 debut album of a classic group from the west side of Chicago, Do or Die, Picture This. Yeah, so definitely saw the Chicago connection. I'm, I'm very curious the um, sort of era of your life when you found out about this album and was listening to it. Yeah, we'll get into that, but what you fire back with? Uh, I fired back with Can, Flow Motion. We had mentioned Can last week in our Velvet Underground episode. Yeah, and I think we're going to be talking maybe more about Velvet Underground. Some fans have written into the podcast and claimed that you are the John Cale of the podcast and I'm the Lou Reed, which I want to dispute oh. that because I'd, le- I'd love to be the, Lu- the John Cale, but I'll accept the Lou Reed of the podcast position. Hey, there's nothing wrong with being Lou Reed. That's true. But I could definitely hear like how Velvet Underground was doing something similar in the US that Can was doing in Germany. But we can get into that later. But we're going to start off with Do or Die. Uh, You asked when I got into them. I got to admit, I probably found out about them later on, even though I think their influence was very evident through a lot of other rappers. Yeah. Especially, like, more in my era, because I was five years old when this album came out, so I wasn't really listening to it at the time. But they're always been kind of a classic... Uh, hip-hop group with like a specific kind of style that you hear like Bone Thugs and Harmony doing something similar um, yeah in Ohio but let's launch into a song I definitely had heard because it was a huge hit and the biggest single from the album 
featuring Tongue Twista, who would go on yeah. to become Twista, one of my favorite rappers, which I probably found out about yes. Do or Die from him. And then they did a collaborative album in like pretty recently, like five or six years ago. But let's launch into it. Pope Pimp, Do or Die. Oh, nice. Wrong song, wrong yeah. song. Here we go. I'll give you 100 points just for this choice. It's the obvious choice, we'll be but I'll crossing take it. streams. We'll be crossing streams with Twista. Drinking C Green, chewing on a weed stamp. Three to the phone with a slow limp in a trip down shitty with three one two seven six two wins. Three line connection, some rest of one of the faction. This brand new weed, we got the drink you need, and plus we strapped with two protections. I put the phone in the hook, then I pause for a minute, cause I forgot why I'm at the hoe. And the fact that I forgot me, my hoes wanna snap, I straight up check the hoe. Really doubt till they creep out. Got Johnny P on the hook. Echo 47 on the verses, besides Tongue Twister, man. Are you going to clear things up for the listeners as far as, like, who did this first? Is it Crazy Bone with Bone Thugs, or is these people first? I think there was some contention at the time where Bone Thugs and Harmony kind of thought they invented it, but it probably just happened, like, kind of concurrently because, especially at the time, you know, like, this was sort of a regional hit that blew up, and then the story behind it is, like, uh, Rap-A-Lot Records out of Houston, which was had put out, like, Scarface and Ghetto Boys albums picked it up and then distributed it nationally. So I don't know if you can say like one of them did it first. Obviously, Bone Thugs and Harmony was more successful, probably. But very similar style with like the fast double time rapping. I guess I'd never even heard that they call it chopper style. Uh-huh. And then obviously the rapper is AK 47, and it's like chopper is like simulating the sound of a AK 47. But they also kind of have the melodies and harmonies of Phone Thugs and Harmony, um, but not as much. But this song is a good example of it. Produced by the leg- the legendary Trackster. Chicago producer also worked with Ludacris. But I be spitting more gangs in the mouth full of poker chips to get them hoes with the open lips and the provoking hips. I never got to tell him any lies. Have them looking in the city skies. Get up in the kitty skies because I'm blessed with a look of innocence. Good sex, peanut butter complex. It's a pretty eye. Pity cries on my strategy side. Yo, one out of me got to be right. That'll be the flat of me right. But if the head the bomb, come on, suck a nigga dick. Members, I'm a click. Want to see what that'll be like. I know you want to try that. To the rhythm of a hi hat. Don't be bogus in the night. I love that line. To the rhythm of a hi hat. And the drum tip. So this is Twista. Always talking about getting rubbed with lotion. Yeah, Twista's kind of this. He's not a very attractive guy, but he's always rapping about hooking up with women. Because he could rap like this. It's actually crazy just being able to rap that fast. And I think, too, it's like, you know, like double time rap kind of became a characteristic of the Midwest with like even in Michigan with Eminem and then like Kansas City with uh, Tech 9 I think he's from there Ohio Chicago 
And I think it also kind of is a division in Chicago hip hop between like the west side of Chicago and the south side, whereas the south side was like common and people like that. And then eventually, obviously, Kanye and then west side is like do or die. So, but I'm passing it back to the east coast to Lee Robinson, who's going to talk about can. Well, if I can quickly throw some shade, um, when I was driving across the country from you know, Montana to Rhode Island, I did go through the Midwest or upper Midwest. I don't know if you guys refer to yourselves as upper Midwest. Is that a thing? It probably is, but I just, I think of, I have a specific borders of the Midwest and I've heard other people include like Colorado or South Dakota as the Midwest. To me, it's just Illinois, Minnesota, Minnesota, uh, Iowa, down to like Kansas over to like, I don't even consider Kansas. I consider Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, Indiana, Ohio, and that's it. Missouri is the is the deep south, and then Kansas is past Missouri, I'm pretty sure. So we're putting that in the south too. So when I was doing this drive, I was thinking like I was telling people, yeah, I'm gonna go through Illinois, then Ohio, and then I realized that I skipped Indiana. That Indiana actually exists between <laughs> Ohio and Illinois, and then I almost did it again when we were talking about Crazy Bone because I think they're in like Cleveland, and I was like, oh, they must have just heard the sound across the border. Uh, but there's actually Indiana then between. Uh, yeah, but everyone forgets about Indiana, but we won't be forgetting Indiana. We'll be weaving that web soon. Nice. Okay, so jumping across the Atlantic over to Can chose this album just as a good excuse to talk about the band. Um, pretty influential um, as far as you know, alternative music in in Europe. Uh, they're kind of part of the krautrock scene. That emerges in you know late 60s early 70s and just generally like experimental music that happens in germany so you can kind of lump them in with like uh noi and uh why am i spacing on there craft work i wanted to call them kraut kraut work uh craft work uh so we'll give you 100 points for kraut cool work. band to talk about kraut work that's when a, Ger- a german comedian uh goes off script and starts talking to people in the audience they're doing kraut work kraut work nice I'm going to make listeners give you points on that. One. <laughs> um, so the only thing about this album, I'll caveat, is this is later in their discography. This is a couple albums after sort of their big hits. So I, I'm curious your thoughts. Well, I want to pick launch into the song, but um, I will just caveat with this. Uh, I chose the album Flow Motion, and the, the title track that it was sort of a response to your pick, since your group was Do or Die, is... Laugh till you cry, Ooh. live till you die. And also flow motion works well with do or die because they got the flow in True. fast motion. This is can laugh till you die. <laughs> laugh till you cry, live till you die. A lot more reggae influence than I expected. Yeah, so this album's 1976. Very much reggae and disco influenced, which a lot of their like early fans were really unhappy with. Uh, they kind of got away from their original sound. This album's much more produced than their early stuff, which was all live. 
Uh, and then we also don't have the famous lead singer, Damo Suzuki. He's left the band at this point. But I still think it's great. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I saw that they did the recording style usually where they would just play live and then chop up the sections that they liked. Totally. Um, this album, I think, is probably more produced as just the technology got better. But they were super famous for that. similar to the Velvet Underground and John Cale in that they were inspired by, and this is all for me just looking up stuff. I, I'm not super familiar with this band or Kraut Rock in general, but I was just reading that they're inspired by like avant-garde composers, including Lamont Young, who we've talked about on a previous podcast. Totally. And then kind of combining that with like African music, Jamaican music, American music and also electronic music, which was, you know, kind of pioneered in a sense in Germany. Yeah, they're basically just a bunch of like art kits that are experimenting with, yeah, jazz and rock, avant-garde rock. chorus you can hear a turkish instrument called a balama Ooh, uh, it's spelled b-a-g-l-a-m-a but there's a funky turkish g that i don't know how to say so you just say balama and one of their earlier albums one of their more famous albums uh, ege bamyasi is also a turkish word uh, that means aegean okra so those germans and their turkish influences we've talked about that before I went to Turkey when I was a kid and I bought a baglama and brought it back. Did you actually? Yeah. It's pretty fun to nice. play. It's basically just like I'll a guitar. I'll give you a, a thousand points. English lyrics, too. Yeah, unlike Trio, they actually sing in English for the most part. So what do you think of the idea of laughing till you cry and living till you die versus uh, the alpha and omega of do or die? <laughs> so what would you consider the alpha and omega of do or die? Because that's the first song and that is like kind of a imagery they've repeated throughout. I don't know if imagery yeah. is the right word, but motif throughout their career. Uh, it's very much the like scarcity mindset. I feel like that hip hop artists usually have and like the hyper masculinity of like you either eat or you die kind of thing whereas these germans are on their social safety net and they're just like just got to live life to the fullest but wasn't this kind of music sort of coming out in a reaction towards like 
a lot of social upheaval going on in Germany that was similar to what was going on in the 60s and 70s in the U.S. I mean, that's pretty, that's fair. I guess at this point, there's still West Germany and East Germany. This is 60, 68, right? The wall doesn't fall to the 80s. I guess I would rather laugh till I die than cry till I die. <laughs> it is weird that you cry when you laugh. I wonder if tears are just like an expulsion of emotion. Just cleaning your eyes. So quickly, I want to shout out just Holger Zuke, which is the bass player of this group. I think he was always kind of the brains. So that's why even though this album, these later albums get kind of panned, he's still involved in the band. And I still think like he's one of those bass player producers. that's just still brilliant at music. So yeah, listeners, check it out. Flow Motion. I think the whole album's pretty fun and dancey. I know that and more. I don't know if you remember that one. There's a lot of chanting on it. Yeah, I wrote down, because uh, the title is like dot, 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 and more. I wrote down a lot yeah. of dots on and more, funny. And then I wrote chanting <laughs> on and more was crazy. Yeah, so that is a real popular. So as we get into the 80s and DJs are starting to blend different genres, that one is one of those tracks that's called like Cosmic, uh, which is this sort of blending of Eastern and Western disco dance sounding songs. So And a little psychedelic uh, coming in. but Psychedelic for yeah. sure. Uh, that's actually how I found this album was through that track. So, All right, I'll pass it back. All right. So I wanted to ask too, because I kind of talked over the whole song, what did you think of Do or Die's album? I really liked it. It tied in a sort of gap that I never had, uh, you know, in my knowledge of, of Chicago rap, especially when I heard Twista, um, that really made a lot of sense. I I had a, a big twist of phase, as, as you did as well, but I didn't really have any connection for him other than uh, Kanye, you know, Kanye putting him on his albums and stuff. So we'll be getting into Twista later, too, with, with one of my later connections that we can talk about more if you want. All right, sounds but good. Yeah, We're going to be twisting up webs. Yeah. Filling gaps, twisting webs. But we left off with Pope Pimp from Do or Die, uh, which has a chorus... Do you want to ride in the backseat of a caddy? Chop it up with do or die. Which ever since we gave each other our assignments for this episode, I've just been singing that on a loop, walking around my house. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I was kind of thinking about do or die too because uh, Freddie Gibbs, if you're listening when this came out, comes out, just put out a new album. Um, and his music, he's admitted, and it's obvious if you listen to the to the songs that, it's kind of inspired by both Bone Thugs and Do or Die. And we were talking about Indiana. Freddie Gibbs happens to be yeah. from Gary, Indiana, right across the border Even from webs. Chicago. And we're going to be it's right there. launching into a song that explicitly references how he's listening to Do or Die called Careless from Shadow of a Doubt 2015. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
How do we do it? Yeah. We don't plan this out. Yeah, we don't plan this, yeah. by the way. Yeah, go crown top down as a cruise with a bad hoe. Yeah, I nine from Chicago. I got the weed and the pussy with the money. I nine from Chicago. I got a line on the fat pack. A hundred things on the scale, motherfucker. Can you buy that? She bought the pussy and you remind that. And suck a dick as I can twist it and listen to do a dab rap. Pretty can young Cody Young. Suck a dick and get twisted while I listen to do or die rap. You can kind of hear it right there in the way he raps. One of Freddie Gibbs' early albums, Midwest Box Frame Cadillac Music. Riding in the backseat of a caddy. Nice. I like this song too because that first verse is like kind of about Gary, like talking about riding from Chicago, and then he goes on to talk talk about LA in the later verse. So, do you think it's fair to say that like Gary kind of just blends into Greater Chicago area? I think so, but it's always you know kind of looked down on as just like a shitty area, I guess. It's like Indiana in general. It's very industrial. Indiana is like, I grew up like an hour and a half away from Indiana, but it's just like, no one wants to go to Indiana, you know? <laughs> and like, they had Michael Jackson and then Freddie Gibbs and obviously probably other people, but. So go talk about the West Coast here. I mean, Indiana has some good stuff about it, don't get me wrong. So, I recently went through and was listening to every Freddie Gibbs album, which, giving a plug for an article I wrote on passionweiss.com, ranking every Freddie Gibbs album, and I picked Shadow of a Doubt, which this song is on, as my number one album. And I almost felt like uh, Stephen A. Smith or something, like, making a controversial pick and then people getting mad. Yeah. Because a lot of people like, you know, his work with Mad Lib and stuff, or like Alfredo. You know, everyone's got an opinion, but I feel like that just shows how Freddie Gibbs has been around since like mid-2000s. He's kind of become a superstar at this point in his career, like 15 albums in, and fans have different albums that they would choose as his favorite album. But this whole album is produced by one uh, engineer who like works for his ESGN label called Speaker Bomb. And there are other producers on it, but he kind of like finessed it to a certain degree, which I think kind of helped bring out Freddie Gibbs' voice in a way that you don't hear as much on other albums. But I did from, you know, listening to all his albums right in a row and writing about him and stuff, I realized that he really has a specific template for each of his albums. And there's always at least one song where he kind of raps like Bone Thugs and Do or Die. Interesting. Which I think is funny. And he's actually, I don't know if he's worked with Do or Die, but he's definitely done a song with Crazy Bone. And then he's also a huge Scarface fan. So 
And then obviously Do or Die, you know, is on the same label as Scarface. So he's never shied away from talking about these influences. But I just think it's funny that there's like always at least one song like this where it's kind of like sung harmonies and then double time raps and stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. Going back to your point about, you know, how do you pick a favorite album? It's very hard because albums find people at different points in their lives and it becomes so subjective at that point. Right. But I do think in the same way that you might have just authors that create fiction so that people can, you know, fall in love with stories and ideas and interpret them how they want. I think you can kind of do that same idea with this album meant this to me. And then if someone else listens to it, having not listened to it, they weave their own webs. Exactly. And I'm going to give you a thousand points. So I support your number one, but it's, I doubt my number one will be the same one as yours. No, and that's kind of the thing with ranking albums in general or saying something's the best is that it's obviously subjective and it doesn't matter at all. But sometimes it can be interesting to talk with people about why they think a certain album is better or not. And I think from doing this podcast, we kind of see that a lot of times better just means there's some personal story of when you heard it, when it came out, kind of like what you were saying. Yeah, it's like I was there. Yeah. I was there in 1968. I was there at the first can show in Cologne. We launching in to uh, LCD sound system? <laughs> no. We already listened to that song, but that is actually going to be my next connection here. Uh, I thought it was too good uh, of a connection. You know, us talking about as we get older and uh, we're losing our edge. But that was actually the first LCD sound system single. Uh, and we'll play the B-side from that um, first 12-inch uh, so, launching into LCD Sound System Beat Connection. Nice. Beat Connecting the Classics. Woo! What tempo is this song? I'm going to give you that many points. If I had to guess 126. I was going to guess 180. Motoric beat here. Yeah. We didn't even talk about that, how... Crowd Rock was known for having the motoric beats like Velvet Underground because of their drummer. What was their totally. name? Totally. Mo Tucker. Shout out Mo Tucker. So, I don't think you can see the timestamps, but we have an eight-minute song on our hands. So, lock in, everybody. I'm have a lot. I'm gonna have a lot, lot to talk to you about. But I'll just quickly uh, give sort of the more background. Um, when he, he when James Murphy wrote Losing My Edge, um, he said, this is a quote from him, when I was DJing, playing Can, Liquid Liquid, ESG, and all that kind of stuff, I became kind of cool for a moment, which was a total anomaly. And when I heard other DJs playing similar music, I was afraid of this newfound coolness was going to go away. And that's where Losing My Edge comes from. So I think that's why the first line is about Can. Wow, I like that. Also, ESG. I have never heard of them, but that's Weaving Webs to Freddie Gibbs label? with ESGN. That's awesome. They're an 80s, like, Brooklyn uh, post-punk band. Yeah, I remember Can was popular with people who were really into like Animal Collective and then a lot of yeah. indie bands. And I remember people wearing like can shirts back when I was in college and stuff like that. And I was like, I think something about it was like kind of that art school thing. K 
carried on for decades later where kind of the art school type person was really into them. So I was like, this feels like it will be inex inaccessible to me. But at this point in my life, I'm ready to enjoy it. I was like LCD sound. I also remember that. Can from the FIFA soundtrack. Oh, I didn't know they were on there. Do you remember that? No, but I'm going to give you one goal for that. One point. Haha. <laughs> So the other uh, sort of connection with LCD Sound System's name, the way they came up with LCD was James Murphy and the, the drummer, Pat Mahoney, had a small band that they called Liquid Christmas Display for a few months, uh, which came from them covering Liquid Liquid songs, which we had mentioned earlier when he was DJing Liquid Liquid. Uh, and they played it for a Christmas party, so that's where that... important connection here with the name is LCD sound system is actually also a reference to Jamaica sound system culture, which was a thing in the late 40s, early 50s, which I was listening to a podcast that basically was arguing that that set up the foundation for ska, rock steady, and reggae, which kind of blew my mind. I wasn't aware of. Yeah. Everybody here needs a shove and nobody's Everybody thinks that it means too much coming Also Jamaican music was doing like double time kind of toasting and rapping Yeah ended up inspiring like people like do or, I don't know if it directly inspired do or die but it was happening around the same time Basically, what these sound system parties would be like is uh, these party producers would compete to have the loudest speakers and the rarest cuts. So basically, also set up the foundation for DJing as we know it, um, which is pretty nuts to think that this one cultural moment set up so much music. I like that idea, too, of like at that point in DJing, whereas now there's like forums dedicated to what did people play at time code 37 of this mix? Yeah. Or like Shazamming in the club or whatever. That at a time is like DJs were kind of like, I have this stuff that you might not have and I'm gonna play it right now and then I'm gonna manipulate it too. So basically what the podcast was saying was that uh, businesses to encourage customers to come and shop in their stores would start playing music on speakers um, outside and at this point uh, a lot of Jamaica's like best musicians have had left the island and gone to um, Britain 
And so live music was less of a thing as it had been in previous generations. And so people started playing records more. And so that was where this sort of arms race of the loudest speakers that sounded the most like, you know, live music happened. That's great. One of the best uh, record stores I've ever been to was in London. And I forget what that area is called. It used to be like a punk area. And now it's uh, kind of touristy, but it was a Jamaican run record store with a bunch of reggae stuff. And I got to like preview my records there. And it was the loudest I've ever heard, like blasting onto the street. That's awesome. Even webs. So that's a perfect transition. Uh, I know we only got a little bit more left on this song, but have you heard of Headley Jones? No, you know more than I know. So he's this inventor engineer uh, in Jamaica who basically creates the first custom amplifier uh, in Jamaica. He learned how to do engineering in the Royal Air Force during World War II. And he comes back to Jamaica and opens a radio repair shop because post-World War II, radios basically like as a tech explode and are in everyone's homes. Wow. And uh, he like had this this uh, desire to you know, have more frequencies. You know, radios were sometimes kind of limited in terms of their bandwidth, in terms of what they were trying to play back to listeners. Um, so he, he, he like invents the first amp uh, and designed circuitry that could uh, enhance low-end, middle, and high frequencies as separate entities. So basically he creates EQ um, for speakers. Wow. And... A connection! And so he, cre he imports these gigantic speakers, rigs up his custom amp, uh, and starts playing music from his radio repair shop. And uh, one of his sort of famous moments was the business across the street was having this party and being kind of cheeky. He, uh, as soon as they've got, get started, he rigs up his, uh, you know, custom sound system and starts blasting <laughs> Perez Prado over the top of him and ruins the party. Wow. And then the next day, the guy comes to his shop and is like, I need this sound system. And he's, he builds him one. That's great. So if I could go on a run. No, I'll, I'll pass Going on a run with LCD sound systems, 56-minute song uh, that was designed for some Nike thing or something to go running. No, I'll pass back. What was that guy's name, though? We'll get to him. No, next Headley. Connection. I got some press. Headley. Oh, Headley Jones. I've heard of Headley Lamar from Blazing Saddles. Just wanted to sneak that in. And uh, nice. for that story, I'm going to give you 107.9. Is that the highest radio station number? I'm going to give you that many points. Ooh, that's good. There's no 108, yeah, right? There's no 108 point. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the highest number. I think it's 107.9 if I had to guess. But yeah, great connection. I think, too, it's interesting nowadays when everything's like super EQ'd and compressed and really loud on digital files that... There is something to, I think people just want stuff to be like really loud. Totally. So turn up the podcast, baby, because we're coming back to me. We left off at Freddie Gibbs' Careless, which features a sample of George Michael's Amazing. Uh, launching into Careless, Whisper, George Michael. Wait, really? No, no, we're not going into that, but should have. We're going to be talking about some other Gibbs. You know any other Gibbs? Um, Antonio Gibson. We're talking about Barry Gibb, no S. Nice. And the Gibb brothers, Robin and Maurice, who together are the Gibbs. 
from Indiana. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> from Indiana, also known as the Bee Gees. And I'm going to play a quick song that I found that I thought was interesting because I didn't really realize that how long the Bee Gees have been active and that they started in the 50s as a skiffle band called the Rattlesnakes with uh, you wow. know, three brothers who lived in the UK, speaking of the UK, and then moved to Australia. And apparently yeah. Barry Gibb just dropped out of school. Like, it seems like grade school or high school and was like, I just, I don't like school. I just want to do music, which I thought was interesting. Uh-huh. And I didn't know much about skiffle music, but we can, we can get into it. But this is uh, from an Australian TV show where the Bee Gees, now called the Bee Gees, not the Rattlesnakes, are performing Alexander's Ragtime Band. And uh, you'll hear him say Bill Gates discovered them, which I thought was hilarious. And I never realized that that's how the Bee Gees actually got their name is because there was a Brisbane... Bill Gates? There's a Brisbane DJ named Bill Gates who discovered them. No way. So the Bee Gees are actually Bill Gates launching into Bill Gates, Alexander's Ragtime Band. I always thought it was Barry Gibb. Well, it works. It works, you know, both ways. Robin, Morris, and Barry Gibbs are three brothers who started singing in 1958. They've been helped a lot by Bill Gates, the popular Brisbane disc jockey, hence the name BG, which combines also with Barry Gibbs' initials. They've just been signed by festival, and here they are, great act. Nice. Brisbane to sing Alexander's Ragtime Band. Everyone should go look up this YouTube video because they look hilarious. Come on in here, come on in here, Alexander's Ragtime Band. Come this song by Irving Berlin, Germany it's Connection. The, the composer is Irving Berlin. Well, he can play a bugle call like you never heard before. Not cologne, but I imagine the Bee Gees wore a lot of cologne. I feel like Maurice is always the forgotten BG. You mean Boris, as the Australian guy calls him? Boris. So my theory after listening to this is that the Beatles are the white Bone Thugs in Harmony. Nice. Give you Ein a million for that one. But yeah, skiffle music. So I think this is kind of an example of it where it's like a lot of British bands were kind of playing like traditional American music. And obviously, you know, they picked up on the blues, R&B, and it kind of becomes rock and roll. But this is very different than the Bee Gees' later work, um, where it's just, you know, Barry Gibb playing the acoustic guitar and then his two brothers singing. But they had some good harmonies. But I'm going to fade this out two minutes in and go on a little run. Nice. Uh, just to kind of hear what the Bee Gees evolved into, launching into How Deep Is Your Love. Freddie Gibbs has a song called Deeper on his project with Matt Pinata. Classic joint. I know your eyes in the morning sun. I feel you 
I just think the evolution from what we just heard to this is crazy. And just how they were around for like 40 years. see Bone Thugs and Harmony doing this? Yeah. A little blue-eyed soul, which I feel like that term's canceled now. You're really upset. Uh, you bring up being canceled on every episode of the podcast, trying to get CTC canceled. Well, do you know what blue-eyed soul is? You heard that genre? You told me about it, but why don't you tell the people? Uh, basically, it's the idea of when like white people sing soul songs and the reason blue-eyed is because they're usually you know fair-skinned blue-eyed yeah people. and then we obviously know like elvis and a lot of musicians the beatles got rich and worldwide famous from essentially co-opting black music but being white yeah i still will argue elvis is gets way too much flack He's just a cog in the, in the wheel. And the Bee Gees were just undeniably hit makers. Um, so I thought, thought this was a good example of, you know, kind of music of around 60s, 70s that Krautrock was probably reacting against to a certain degree. That's just very poppy totally. and smooth. Um, obviously, this is on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. Totally. I wasn't a big Bee Gees fan at all, even though I heard the hits until like past couple of years. I think there was a documentary that came out about them. I didn't watch it, but people were talking about them. And I just realized like they have so many damn hits. So many hits. And we're going to fade this one out, but I just thought a funny quote. When they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Hall's citation said, only Elvis Presley, the Beatles, Michael Jackson, Garth Brooks and Paul McCartney have outsold the Bee Gees. Wow. Which I think is interesting because those other names, if you ask probably just a random kid off the street, they'd probably know all of those bands, but I don't know if they'd know the Bee Gees if you ask like a 10-year-old kid or something. Yeah, other than like maybe staying alive. Like they might recognize some songs, but I don't know if they'd know the name and be able to associate with all the hits. Yeah. Well, they're one of those groups that just like thrived within the studio system, or at least they decided to right. thrive. Alright, I'm going to fade this one out and pass it back over. Alright, we were talking about Headley Jones and his start of the sound system wars. Uh, I was surprised to learn that, you know, early in Jamaica, post-World War II, a lot of the music they were listening to was jazz, swing type stuff. And the artist that he said he was playing when he uh, ruined Tom Wong's party was Perez Prado, who was from Cuba. So jumping into Perez Prado, Mambo number Just imagine Headley walks out 
turns on his speakers and just starts blasting this over the top of someone else's party. I'd want to go to this party instead. So to wrap up kind of what this podcast uh, explains, and this is 99% divisible for anyone who wants to listen to the full thing. Definitely recommend. Super interesting. Uh, basically, these sound system wars, you know, start these battles where people throw these parties and to get people to attend. Uh, they start uh, trying to get the rarest cuts. So they're importing records. They're uh, going to studios and asking people, will you record this song for me? So I only have I have the only copy of it um, to, you know, drop at a party and get people to, you know, attend my party and not a competing one. And so that sort of funds uh, the impetus for people to, you know, create these recording studios where groups can go in and make cuts that they can hand off to um, these sound system parties. Wow. And so then, you know, uh, the influences of R&B and all that eventually trigger ska and rocksteady and reggae. So I thought that was super fascinating. It is, especially because nowadays it's like if you go to a party, you can expect that whoever's there will have any song ever on their phone or whatever. Exactly. Whereas it was a thing back in the day. So I wonder if just rumors spread like, hey, they've got this song, this DJ has this song or whatever. Or if people, you know, even advertise like, hey, I got mumbo number five. Come to my party. Yeah. And although it's kind of cliche now, they also talked about how a super famous move that like people would lose their minds is they would EQ out the bass and then let the song play for a little bit and then bring the bass back in and people would just be like, oh my I God. I feel like people are still trauma. doing that. And people are still doing that. I know it's still a thing, but. Yeah. It reminded me of like, you know, the first uh, picture when there was the train coming and people like got ducked out of the way. Yeah. Just like they drop the bass out and they bring it back in. It just blows people's <laughs> minds. That's great. I mean, there's something to it. All right. Passing it. All right. Well, that was great. And I can't remember if I mentioned this on a previous episode of the podcast, but I went to do karaoke recently at a bar where it was like public karaoke. And the one song that got people going was Mumbo Number no. 5, uh, Lou Bega. Wow. Like everyone was, it literally, everyone was losing their minds. Like they'd never heard a song before. Like, this is the greatest thing ever. Aww. This guy just, you know, crushing it. So was that, was the is it Lou Bega? Am I getting that right? Mambo number five. Yeah, I think he samples it. He samples he it. He definitely samples that yell. Ah. I also just realized that Lou Bega is German, which I remember I first Whoa. heard Mambo number five when I was in Switzerland when I was a kid. And uh it definitely has that Euro dance feel to it. And I just remember too, it's like almost a thing of, you know, they have something we don't uh back you know, shout out to Swiss cousins visiting Switzerland and they had, or like Mambo number no. five was by far the biggest song. And then it swept America not too long after that. There's a helicopter shaking my house right now, which, you know, oh, call geez. back to chopper music. There's a chopper <laughs> grumbling, but we left off with the BGs. I felt like Lee, you weren't really feeling the BGs. And I think I'd argue you're kind of a bigger Bee Gees head than I am. So I thought maybe I'd connect with yeah, you Yeah, I like the Bee Gees. But, white, but Blue-Eyed Soul I, is canceled. I like the Bee Gees. Um, yeah. So 
talking about the Bee Gees. How deep is your love? Like Freddie Gibbs has a song called Deeper on Pinata. Bee Gees have How Deep Is Your Love. Mad Lib, who worked with Freddie Gibbs on Pinata, sampled uh, for a different album. Mad Villainy sampled Mothers of Invention, Jars Under the Bed. Uh, so just weaving webs here in a convoluted way. Not sure if that connection even makes sense. So listeners at home, feel free to subtract 1965 points because we're talking about a song inspired by uh, the singers watching on television of the 1965 Watts riots. Like Freddie Gibbs from Verse to Verse on Careless. We're going from Indiana, Gary, Indiana. And I want to also, at this point, issue a statement just apologizing if I was shitting on Indiana. But I'd say that's kind of the perception of Gary is like, it is it is Chicago, but it's not or something. I don't really know. I take that back too. Redacted, redacted. I'm just going on a long rant, waiting for Lee to interrupt me and just envisioning in my head all the listeners fast forwarding while subtracting points at an exponential rate. But we're going to launch in here to the Mothers of Invention. What the hell is that? Trouble coming every day by the Mothers of Invention. What the hell was what? My rant? I, I lost you. <laughs> Sorry, I was just giving my preamble to this song in double time, like do or die. No way to delay that trouble coming every day. So this is Frank Zappa in the band Mothers of Invention from their debut album Freak Out. This is great. So this song was the first song that the record exec who signed them heard. And kind of what we were talking about, Blue Eyed Soul, apparently the record exec just figured that they were a white blues band and he was like oh i can profit off a white blues band and especially because like this song is talking about the watts riots which i feel like the racial stuff gets interesting because it's like a little cultural appropriation and you'll hear frank zappa even say something like i'm not black but i wish i wasn't white and stuff like that where it's like he's also kind of known to be a pioneer of comedy rock where like a lot of stuff they did was satirical or like jokey so i think yeah without knowing the context i don't know if this was kind of riffing on the music of the time so 
but he also did a lot of avant-garde stuff, and I know Can and some of the other kraut rock bands were directly influenced by the Mothers of Invention. No way to delay that trouble coming every day. So this is 10 years before the Can album came out. Wow. I'm not black, but there's a whole lot of times I wish I could say I'm not white. Nice. Well, I'll see the fires burning and the local people turning on the merchants and the shops who used to sell their brooms and mops and every other household item. Watch a mob just turning. But then uh, the record exec freaked out which is the name of the album, because he heard the other songs that they ended up making, which are way more like avant-garde and experimental compared to this one, which I thought yeah. that was funny. And is this an example where he eventually, like, it becomes Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention? So I think Mothers of Invention was a band, and then they ended up adding Frank Zappa, and then I think Frank Zappa left at some point. Got you. Because I was thinking of like tying back to Jamaica. There's a there's like the Whalers, which was included Bob Marley, but then he became big enough that it, they changed the name to Bob Marley and the Whalers. Oh, yeah. Or like Graham Parsons joining the Birds. Yeah, exactly. Also, just thought the lyrics. Saying our country isn't free, this could happen in any town. If people want to fight back against laws that aren't right. Uh, obviously, some parallels to today, but also some parallels to what was going on in Germany and kind of the, you know, <laughs> also it's funny, blow your harmonica, son. <laughs> yeah, just some parallels with, you know, social movements of this era and what Kraut Rock was going through. And I love how it speeds up right here. Double time. Do or die style, double time. Chopper. Frank Zappa, the original Chopper. So we listened to that instead of listening to Pop Can, but I want to give Pop Can a shout out, the Jamaican artist. Wow. Also, B that would have been BGs nice. are like Pop Can, whereas Can is just a can. All right, passing it back before I get too confused again. <laughs> By the way, my connection made sense. Just listen back to it. All right. And yeah, listen to this you whole podcast in double time. 1.5 speed. So we left off with Headley Jones playing Perez Prado Mamba number five. Uh, you had mentioned you listened to records on the loudest sound system you ever heard. Uh, 
one of the fun facts that I think is really interesting, and we've talked about this on the recorded history of music, is loud bass. Oftentimes you hear it more in your body than you hear it in your ears. Uh, part of that is the size of the frequencies themselves are pretty large and they're resonating in your chest more than they're resonating in your ear holes. Uh, Another thing that I read online was also there could be some crossover resonance with your heart rate uh, since bass is usually in the range of 50 to 100 something hertz. Uh, but the third sort of theory I read uh, was that just a loud sound in general creates an emotional surge in our body, uh, a fight or flight response, um, which our friend Twister might call an adrenaline rush. You feel that adrenaline rush to the base, which causes us a surge in your chest. I'm bringing pain like two bad nurses. In the pain from knees here, motherfucking verses. Ridiculous thirsts involving hosts. To the dirt shit first, fixing is in auto. So immediately, this is my reference point for Do or Die, because I loved this song in middle school and high school. To the earth split, it'll hurt me, show you how worse it didn't worse get in its own. See the vein when the pain repel is in the clothes and the curtains fit. When adrenaline's pumping, I don't understand discussion. Only his certain shit. I'm a misunderstood nigga, and I'm off my square. How got me reversing clips and dispersing shit? What can I say to make you see how the fuck I feel? To make me wanna jump over the edge? I'm charged up and stuff is getting shot up on the legs. No pain instead of cane, I took a blood off to the head. So tell me what it's. Retaliate with lethal repercussion. I feel the reaper rushing to go with things like it's a wicked stick. If the benadryl have like a benadryl to get the kicking shit, but niggas and bitches that I kick it with. And so this song samples. Uh, part of that Alpha Omega or Omega rant. I just quickly Googled this album too and saw that one of the songs re, uh, includes a Pope chorus, like a reworking of it. Totally. Yeah. It also has that little. He like reused that sound. So I think he was a little younger and they kind of helped launch his career. I actually don't know if he was younger, but they definitely. No, that makes sense. I still don't know how he raps this fast, though. Like, very enunciated. Have you ever heard the theory that you slow down the song that you're recording to, and then you speed up the vocal? Like, that's a... Con- I don't think he does that. No. But that's what some people... I'm sure people do that, though. That's like, speaking of Mad Libs, for Quasimodo, which is like a high-pitched rapper, but he actually rapped in halftime to all the beats and sped up the tape. So the other thing that the song reminded me of is like how Chicago definitely has that like slowed down, chopped and screwed sound that was very much attributed to the South, but they were, they were doing it at the same time. Also, Drive Slow by Kanye. Yeah. Well, I feel like even with, you know, Freddie Gibbs and Scarface, where it's like... Because the Midwest is obviously in the middle of the country, so I feel like they kind of get influences from everywhere. There's that sound, that sound effect. It's not like beholden to the traditional 
stuff of the East Coast, and then the West Coast kind of has its own funk influence sound. South has its own sound. I mean, every region has its own sound, but I feel like the Midwest really does kind of blend a lot of the influences now that you say that. So, uh, do you know Twista's fastest song? No. According to Fuse.tv. According to the Guinness uh, Book of World clocked, Records. He clocked an astonishing 280 words per minute uh, on the single Mr. Tongue Twista. So, we've got 90 beats per minute for your heart rate, 70 hertz for your bass, and 280 words wow. per minute. Wow. Give you Twista. whatever those numbers multiply together then divided by one <laughs> give you that many points thanks minus three uh all right should i go do you want to go back go into do or die i'm gonna come back i mean are you passing it or are you running it's a, well, i'm it's wondering if you want to close it out do you want to close it out or i'm ready to go to? on my uh on my song here. All right, launch launching into can. All right, so we left off with the Mothers of Invention, and as I said, you know, direct connection here. I uh, think they were an obvious influence. This is Can Cascade Waltz. Nice. This is a fun one. Which this opening a song we played on the previous rendition of the podcast, Evo Taylor Bra. It reminds me of this. Everyone look that song up. Totally. I hope you're not worrisome. It's kind of <laughs> got that like African influence. Mashup. But also the waltz rhythms with the reggae. I thought this was great. The dog barking sound effect works. If Can was really avant-garde, they would have sampled some dogs barking we need some trio talking over the music Sabine <laughs> Ganao, Ganao. V Gates. and I'm taking back what we said on Leah's referencing episode 2 of this podcast I think trio into KMD and I take back what I said on that episode that it's hard for me to see German people as having soul because I think can proves that they can have soul. Nice. So is that like a synth right there? Or a sound effect of some kind, I'm not sure. Could be a synth. I mean like the strings. Yeah. This is a very like cinematic song, orchestral. Soul sign, sit on stop. Kept on up to the top. Reach the summit. Looked around. Heartbeat was the only Heartbeat. Sound. Wow. We don't plan this, folks. With milk and honey. Girls and cars and sex and money. The spaceship 
flew across the sky inside an astronaut softly. So this person's clearly kind of doing a Damo Suzuki style singing even though it's on him. Really understand what goes on in the heart of a man. Does anyone here really But I actually read the reason he leaves the band is he becomes a Jehovah Witness and he stops playing music altogether for like 10 years. He became a what? Jehovah's Witness? Jehovah Witness, yeah. Wow. Is music against Jehovah's Witnessism? I don't know. He's probably too busy going door to door. Now we're canceled. Can... <laughs> Cancels. Incels for cancel. Yeah, before I listened to this album, I was a cancel. I'd never listened to cans can <laughs> before. Michael Caroli. The Do or Die was in the player. Cadillac. They were in the Michael Corolla. But yeah, I don't know if, just because I'm a bass player, I think about it this way, but Holger Zuke is up there with my list of favorite producer bass players. Paul McCartney. Flea. Um, Flea, okay. Is Flea in there? Uh, I don't have Flea in there. Who else is in there on the Mount Rushmore? What's the guy from Yellow Magic Orchestra? I can never say his name correctly. Um, the guy from Primus. Haru, Haruomi? Harumomi Hosono? Is the guy from Primus Haruomi. on there? I don't know if I put him in there. I'd put Does him in produce? mine. I don't know if he produces. I'm just talking bassists. That, You're doing top bass players. Bassists that are the driving force behind the music. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'll put Les Paul. Or Les, what's is it? Les, Les Claypool. Claypool, thank you. Kim Gordon. Thundercat. Larry Graham. Larry Graham. Shout out to Drake's uncle. Drake's uncle. uncle. <laughs> All right, let's close it out here. Talking about Twister, Adrenaline Rush. Clearly gets a launch point from Do or Die, Alpha and Omega. Nice. Setting the tone for our episode about live till you do or die. Laugh till you cry. Laugh till you the can alpha. cry. This is the opening it's song the of the album. There's that the sound. The Omega is the end. The Alpha is when you do. The, the omega, omega is when you die. So the, the Alpha Omega is when you do <laughs> or It's unexplainable die. when I drop that ass like a six-fold. Bitches from niggas to niggas from bitches and cops. No, I appeal. Make a motherfucker do a cop wheel and I steal. Bust us in broad day. I don't know if Memphis is considered the Midwest, but Memphis, I feel like Memphis definitely had this yeah, sound. Similar sound. 
I almost went to Memphis with like Gangsta Pat and all that sound, especially in the song. Who you ducking with? Self-explanatory in your group, bro. No love, no glory. It's I come crucial. Like conflict, handle your function. Dicks and dirt by bunches. Atrocious. When I come like bitch of a bunch. If we're talking about Alpha or Omega, you're definitely the do this of the podcast this dynamic this yeah i'm definitely the more of the think i don't think omega is thing, but you're the do and you're the what the die yeah i'm the die are you the laugh or the cry or the live or the die I'm not sure. We should, instead of live, laugh, love, we should start making stuff targeted at middle-aged women that called laugh, cry, die. Laugh, cry, do die. <laughs> this person sounded like uh, Ice Cube. No, not anymore. So had you heard that Adrenaline Rush song? I've definitely had familiar. that album, but that wasn't like a standout song okay. that I know every word to, okay. but I don't think I could know every word to uh, any Twisted song, so... I will say my twisted knowledge is I've never gone like super deep obsessive fandom but always been a big fan at the same time if that makes sense it's one of those things too where it's like I think why he his career has been limited to a certain extent is like you can only handle that much adrenaline and like that fast for so long you know what I mean like yeah. it's impressive but and it's beyond impressive too because he can actually make hit songs and like he's actually saying something he's not just like rapping really fast but um i think he could have maybe benefited from switching it up a little bit yeah so my real quick completely biased you know review of the midwest from interstates <laughs> Minnesota overrated, Wisconsin underrated. Illinois was exactly what I thought it would be. Indiana, I always forget about it. Ohio is actually better than I thought it would be. Ohio is great. There you have it. Ohio, that if Cleveland you learned anything cool. from this episode, it's that Ohio is actually great. I feel like it's a punching bag, but it's one of those places, kind of like Florida, that's a punching bag, but it has so many different cities that are actually like big interesting big and kind of interesting i mean it is a t you know obviously it's a terrible place but no one in their <laughs> right mind would ever choose to live there but you know we'll give it some credit it's got lake erie yeah lake erie was really crazy looking just like a flat expanse of water and i drove from minneapolis to champaign five points for champaign illinois uh i drove that route once and i would agree wisconsin has some nice nature yeah. Madison's a great city. All right. And on that note. Yeah. But this is all from highways. So just delete me. I don't really know. No, but that's the thing. Like you kind of get the idea of what the landscape looks like from the highway and what the ads are for. You know, yeah. Wisconsin, you got the cheese, you got the water parks. Cheese curds everywhere. Um, I've probably said it on every podcast I've ever done, but 
the legend goes that when President Xi from China visited Champaign and drove to Chicago, he called that ride on I-57, not like Freddie Gibbs taking I-9 from Chicago, I-57 north to Chicago, called it the most beautiful ride he's ever taken because it's all flat farmland. Wow. Nice. He's licking his chops. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note... Try to to buy up that farmland. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Hey, please send us an email. We would love to get an email. We'll read it on the podcast. Uh, Connectingtheclassics at gmail.com. You can also send us a tweet at ctcpod. Follow us on TikTok where you'll hear us talk about Larry Graham, who we mentioned on the episode. We appreciate you listening. Uh, Lee, I'm going to give you the episode on this. I think you were very prepared. Came in ready to fire hot on all cylinders. You did not die. You did. You dude. And you're the dude. I'm the alpha. You're the alpha. I'm the this omega. Uh, I'm the Lou Reed. And good night. See you next week. I like the idea of ending the podcast with this song from now on. I realized we forgot to play it at the beginning. No, we played it. Oh, we did? I didn't even realize it. It's a great outro. This is JJ Kale, Ride Me High. And we're riding off on I-9 south from Chicago. Good night.